0: Hi everyone, welcome to the San Diego News Fix, Name Drop Edition. I'm Christy Totten and today my guest is Dr. Bradley Bond, Chair and Associate Professor of Communication Studies at University of San Diego. Dr. Bond studies parasocial relationships, our relationships with fictional characters, celebrities, and other people we don't actually know. His research looks at how these one-sided relationships shape our identities, choices, and even our sexualities. In this episode, we talk about his work, hobbies, and a mutual love of Issa Rae and her show Insecure on HBO. Here's our conversation. Yeah, well Dr. Bond thank you so much for for being here today on name drop um I was researching the work you do and it's so fascinating <laughs> like I, I mean so you inter- you you research the intersection of or I guess our media coverage and how it shapes our identity um as well as how we form relationships with fictional people am I missing anything
1: <laughs> Yes no uh thank you for having me you are certainly not missing anything a lot of my work looks at the way in which entertainment media in particular influences how we see ourselves and our social networks. And a main component of that is our parasocial relationships that we develop with fictional characters and celebrities. Um, These feelings of social emotional bonds that we have with people who we've never met in real life and only know through a screen.
0: So how did you get into this line of, of work? And, and you know what, what is the answer? How does this stuff shape us?
1: Yes, so when I was in graduate school, a lot of the work that I was interested in doing was looking at how adolescents learned about sex and sexual norms and sexual behaviors from the media. We know that teens turn first and foremost to their friends to learn about sexual norms and sexual behaviors, and then to media sources. And when I learned of this concept of parasocial relationships, I was particularly intrigued because ultimately what the kind of psychological idea is behind this is that we develop these bonds with characters. We feel like they are our friend. We're happy when they're happy. We're sad when they're sad. Um, we engage in imagined interactions with the with fictional characters and celebrities, thinking about what it would be like if we just happened to be in that location at that time or if they were in ours. And so I was really intrigued by this idea because we know that teens turn to their friends to learn about sex. And so if we see our favorite characters as friends, are they more influential in terms of influencing our attitudes or our beliefs about sex and sexual behavior? And that's kind of how I got into the concept. I then became simply fascinated by the psychology behind how these relationships develop, why we maintain them and what happens when they dissolve. I think that it's particularly important to study, because we know that media can influence users can influence audiences. And so when we are engaged with these characters, we can learn from them. And that can be both good and bad, depending on the outcomes that we're looking at.
0: Yeah, I'm wondering, are there any um you know, really misinformed? Is there is there any situation in, in the media, in entertainment, where we've been really misinformed by a character or information put out there? I'm sure there are many.
1: Sure. And even generally, the media landscape, if you think about entertainment media in the United States, at least, our entertainment media tends to be incredibly violent and highly sexualized and lacks many consequences. So if the people that we see as like others, individuals that are similar to us, are engaged in these types of behavior, then we tend to learn those behaviors. We tend to internalize those behaviors and then retrieve and recall those kind of um, scripts that have been created for us when we're put into similar contexts. Now, on the opposite end of that, we also know that we can learn a lot of good things from media exposure. Uh, There's a line of research now in parasocial relationships that actually looks at what happens when somebody that we do have this really close social emotional bond to who who we feel like is our friend, when they disclose something that would potentially be stigmatized in society otherwise. So when your favorite celebrity talks about their challenges with mental health, for example, if you have a strong social bond with that individual, uh, research suggests that that can reduce stigma related to mental health, can increase your likelihood of sharing struggles that you might have with uh, loved ones or, you know, searching for information online. So we know that there are both positive and negative outcomes that can come from from these types of connections.
0: I mean, what have been your parasocial relationship influences? <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a question I often get. It's a question I very much enjoy asking my own students. Um You know, my most recent parasocial relationship is an interesting one. I'm currently working on a book project on this topic, and I've spoken to about 150 people from across the United States and internationally about their connections to characters. And one of the things that we have always argued in this literature is that we tend to bond with people on screen who we see as similar to us, just like we would in real life. If you're engaging with somebody, um, and you're making a first impression about that person, similarity is often one of the things that we utilize to, to forecast a relationship. Is this somebody I would be friends with? You know, Birds of a feather type of thing. And we know that that happens with fictional characters and celebrities as well. We look for some type of similarity. That has long been understood in the literature. But one thing that I think is rather interesting is in some of the interviews that I've done, people are actually reporting that they have these kind of strong parasocial bonds, this feeling of being friends with, characters who they don't necessarily have access to in real life or who who don't necessarily mimic their real life friendships but who they would like to be part of their social mm-hmm. network. And I think that um I share that because I think it describes my parasocial connection to the characters on HBO's Insecure. So the television show Insecure centers around four young black women in Los Angeles. I am not young black nor female so i i don't qualify in terms of uh, similarity in a lot of those ways but i find myself engaged in it, um, imagined interactions when i'm watching that show thinking about oh how fun would it be to be in that setting with those women at that time or what would i do if i were in one of the crazy situations that they were in you know with them at that particular time and those kind of imagined interactions are oftentimes a good forecast for uh, predicting that you have some type of parasocial, social-emotional bond with the character. And uh, that happens to be the latest one that I have at least cognizantly recognized um, as my own parasocial connection.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That was a great show. I feel the same. I want to be friends with every everybody, almost everybody. Right. And yeah.
1: um, And you know, those, those television shows that centers center around friendships, I think make it particularly easy for us to engage in this type of imagined interaction. There was a lot of research on the television show friends, uh, when it ended because people experienced grief, very similar to how we experience grief when we lose, you know, real life friends who move away or who pass on. And, uh, the stages of grief were actually shown to be Um, parallel for people who had really strong connections to Ross, Rachel, Monica, Chandler, Joey, and Phoebe, because (laughs) we saw ourselves as part of that friend group. And so when you lose that connection, um, we experience grief.
0: Wow. I mean, so is it healthy to have parasocial relationships? Is it unhealthy? Is there like a way that we should draw the line?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I often tell people that it is completely normal to engage in these types of relationships. Uh, When I interview folks about their parasocial relationships, oftentimes when they share something that's particularly interesting, they'll start by saying, I'm a little embarrassed to tell you this, but. And I think that that's because there is this uncertainty as to whether or not having these kind of strong connections to people you don't know is healthy or, or normal. And I would argue that it is. We determine personhood by people's faces, we understand human beings and we understand the basic emotions based on facial expression, things of this nature, regardless of whether or not we see that person face-to-face or we see them on a screen. And so when you see people on screens, research suggests that the same parts of our brains are activated as when we see people in person, we engage in impression formation the same way, uh, <clears throat> characters we talk directly to the screen, tend to garner our attention more than characters who speak to the side. So there's a lot of similarities between our face-to-face connections and those parasocial connections. So it's really human nature. It's it's human instinct for us to make connections with others, regardless of how we are interacting with them. Now, what's key to parasociality is that actual lack of interaction, right? There's there's no mutual relationship. It's one-sided. And so that's a distinct factor um, that does make our parasocial relationships Important in our social network, but not as satisfaction, not as satisfactory. Excuse me, as our um, social connections.
0: Mm, that's so fascinating. I mean, is seeing somebody's face um, essential to this, or you know, can you also develop this parasocial friendship with some like a, a podcast, you know, for for example, or some kind of audio drama?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's because we very rarely listen to a podcast or read a book without creating a person out of that voice or out of that text, right? We have a vision for what that looks like. And oftentimes we create that in um, the ideal image. So it might even strengthen our parasocial relationship because we picture that character or that podcaster in how we ideally would like them to be pictured, which is why none of us are ever satisfied when they turn a book into a movie because Mm -hmm. the film just doesn't seem to match our own imagination. In turn, there's this discrepancy, and we're bothered by that. So uh, we can act absolutely have these kinds of um, relationships with with characters from audio or or textual media.
0: That's so amazing. I remember reading Aragon, like the, I don't know, it's a YA book, you know, about the dragon years ago, and then they did make a movie of it. And I watched the movie. I'm like, that's not what the dragon's voice sounds like, you know, yeah, but like, who yeah, knows I, what the dragon's voice sounds like? Right. I mean, also it's a dragon. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, well, obviously you are a pop culture expert. So I was wondering, what are you paying attention to? What are you watching, consuming? You know, what's what's new and interesting to you?
1: Oh, my as I get older, my own interests don't match what I should be studying. But one of the things that I find um, quite fascinating that I try to keep up on are the social media influencers, content creators that young people are particularly interested in. Um, I think that that's very much where this line of work is going. We know that when we follow a YouTube vlogger, for example, that parasocial relationships, especially that young people have with these social media content creators tend to be quite strong. And we're starting to kind of gather evidence that suggests that that is uh, because these individuals seem so much more authentic and realistic. And so if you're watching your favorite vlogger, You know, they're vlogging from their living room or from a studio they've set up in their home that you're really familiar with because you watch them all the time and maybe their dog wanders into the background and you know their dog because they've talked about the dog on the podcast or on the the vlog before. And so we have this like incredible sense of intimacy that we develop with these people because they seem just like us, right? You or I could go onto YouTube today and and vlog a video about our daily routine. And that's a little different than the traditional celebrity or fictional character kind of vertical relationship where we're looking up to them, but still see them as friends. And so young people in particular are garnering really strong social connections from these social media content creators. And that's something that I'm kind of paying attention to right now. Uh, I also think that this line of work, this this understanding of what these relationships do for us and what their outcomes look like, um, is changing as the technological environment changes. So I know that some parasocial scholars have been really interested in virtual reality and how VR will change the way we engage with fictional characters, for example, I read a really interesting piece on the fact that um, Peloton and, and and companies like that have become so successful, and they they basically argue that parasocial relationships is one of the reasons for that. That Peloton users have become you know really strongly connected to their instructors, even though these are people they only know through a screen. And so I think that we've got a lot to understand about the way that these function and the kind of motivations and gratifications that we have for them.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, it seems like a lot of this happens in your interior life, you know, but like, how does it, how does it affect your, your exterior life? You know, your, your day-to-day?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. So because we see these individuals as members of our social network, right, we can, um, we can think about them as we would our, our friends. We can daydream about interactions that we have with them. And um, as I mentioned, most importantly, I think we can learn from them. Uh, and that's that's really important in terms of the kind of messages that they send, the types of narratives that they're involved in, um, and, and influencing our own attitudes and, and behaviors.
0: Okay, I have a lightning round for you. And the first question is, uh, what is the most adventurous food you've ever eaten? These are just random questions, obviously.
1: <laughs> the most adventurous food I have ever eaten? Yeah. Oh, my. Um, Probably live octopus.
0: Wow. I've only seen that on TV. How was it?
1: It, uh, Just as frightening as it looks on television.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Where were you? What were the circumstances? That's Uh, amazing.
1: Kyoto, Japan. And it was a when in Rome type of experience. And I am not one to back away from that, but I am glad I tried it and I will never try it again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's like serious bragging crap right there. (laughs) Um, what, what is the first news event you remember from your childhood?
1: I don't know if this is the first, but what absolutely stands out in my mind as soon as you asked that question was the OJ Simpson trial. And I was an adolescent at the time, but it, uh, was something that just, you know, engulfed society. And it's all that my family talked about. We watched it at school. So it was, um, it was the one thing that I think really made an impression on me.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. The white Bronco chase. I think that was, that was mine as well. Yeah. Um, What is the last movie that made you cry? Or show or song?
1: You know, a lot of movies make me cry, and I think, um, you know, they they often joke that they we often joke that in social science um, we don't do research we do me research that we you know we are always uh, when when you're studying something about kind of the human mind or the way we engage with each other it's typically because you're motivated from some experience or or personality characteristic that you have. And I grew up with television. I grew up with a single mom and television was absolutely an additional parent for me. And so I think that I've often been very um, emotionally attached to to my own um, media experiences. So I cry very easily, which makes it hard to choose one movie, the last movie I saw that made me cry because Probably anything that I saw. Like
0: that. <laughs> I, I love was. it. I'm with you on that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what um, What is an album, artist, or, or piece of music that you, you revisit, that you've been listening
1: to for a long time? Dolly Parton. Love it. Every, every album. I have always had a fondness for Dolly Parton. She, to me, is the only American who loves everyone equally. <laughs> and she has a way of just breaking down boundaries that we have, even artificial boundaries, political boundaries, economic boundaries. And if more people, especially in politics, could do what Dolly Parton could do, uh, imagine how great our our country could be. So um, Dolly Parton is the person that sticks out Is somebody I always go back to.
0: Yeah. And to be so humble about it. Did you listen yes. to the podcast about her?
1: I did. I loved it. It was um, it was fantastic. I put on an episode every time I went for a hike or to the gym and it was incredible.
0: What is that? You would know, what is that scale called? You know, you rate uh, famous people based on their likability and she's like number one, way above Beyonce, way above Oprah. Other people we think are like, Oh, they're so likable. What's not to like like that. That to me was incredible. Who knew, but it makes sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) An an idol. That is for sure. Icon, excuse me.
0: Okay. What is your perfect San Diego day?
1: My perfect San Diego day would be taking the dog to the dog beach at Coronado. He is only five pounds, very small Yorkie, but he acts like he is a golden uh, retriever or German shepherd. So he loves the beach, play ball at the beach, and then uh, some good fish tacos.
0: Awesome. How how cute. Uh, what's your dog's name?
1: Bachi, as in Bocce ball.
0: ball. <laughs> yeah. Do you play Bocce ball?
1: I do not, my grandfathers both did. They were both uh, Italian immigrants. And so he was kind of named after the family heritage.
0: That's an awesome dog name. Um, okay, <laughs> do you have a pet peeve?
1: Yes. I'm thinking, do I only have one Oh,
0: You can list many. I, I have many to share.
1: <laughs> the one that sticks out is uh, people who do not use their turn signal. Mm-hmm. Gets me. Yeah, I'm also like the
0: little wave, right? When like when you let somebody in, you're like, "Yeah, I have to do that. I want to be congratulated, (laughs) acknowledged." Were you going to say another one? Sorry. Oh, I I
1: I have so many. No, (laughs) I, I was also thinking. I'm just a very Type A person, so I'm very organized. And when somebody asks me to engage in something that is extremely unorganized, it's definitely a pet peeve.
0: Very fair um okay let's see I think that concludes the lightning round um but I wanted to ask you and thanks for thanks for participating I know that came out of left field but you know it's nice to just get to know more about you you know as the person outside of your research so thank you um let's see well what are you working on now what are you currently studying
1: great question so I've two separate projects that are kind of taking a lot of my time right now one of them is um, wrapping up some work that we've done on the parasocial relationships that we have and the influence that they had during COVID 19 and during quarantine and isolation and so i collected quite a bit of data between april and june of 2020 looking at our parasocial relationships and how um, social isolation was influencing those relationships And really interesting findings there, ultimately arguing that our social connections, excuse me, remained strong, which is not surprising that um, isolation during COVID-19 didn't make us feel less close to our friends, but it certainly did make us feel much closer to our parasocial others. And that was particularly the case for individuals who rely on their social networks for some aspect of their identity. So um, individuals who have some stigmatized identity maybe um, religious minority identities, uh, sexual or gender identity uh, minority individuals who really kind of thrive on that social connection to others who are like them, that their parasocial connections became really important during the pandemic. So that's a line of work that we're wrapping up. The other parasocial study I'm working on is actually looking at how parents of queer kids utilize parasocial relationships with um like others in entertainment media, to try to understand sexual and gender identity, so we've been doing quite a bit of work with um, with parents. You know, most research suggests that parents socialize children, and oftentimes they use media messages to do that. But in some respects, and in some identity attributes, children use media to socialize their parents. And so we've been doing a line of work looking at um, LGBTQ youth and how typically they are more informed. They're the knowledge holder when it comes to their own sexual identity or gender identity, and they have to socialize their parents. And so we're kind of doing some reverse research looking at how those um, teenagers and and adolescents are using media to kind of teach their parents. And so we're looking at parasocial relationships that parents might have with um, other parents of queer children on entertainment media um, or Uh, with queer characters.
0: That's awesome. Do you have examples of that? Like what are some of the things young people are sharing with their parents, you know?
1: Yeah, so what our research is finding is that it, this type of socialization happens, but that more often it actually happens on accident. So it's not that, you know, children are intentionally engaging in these behaviors, but when they see a depiction of, um, you know, a transgender individual on screen, and they feel that that's an inauthentic depiction, or that it's a, a shallow depiction of what being trans, you know, really means to them. They share that information with their parents, and so they kind of use those media representations as ways to, um, you know, to, to open the door to conversations, which is really quite funny because for years we've known that that's the case in reverse—that parents use media as kind of this stepping stone towards more difficult conversations. But we're finding that. Um, Teens are doing it as well. And and they're doing it when that situation presents itself, not so much planning for it.
0: Are, Are parasocial relationships ever negative? Like, I mean, I guess we, you know, often don't like the bad guys or whatever on a TV show, but is it just more like they're mostly positive, they're mostly friendships. And if not, we don't engage.
1: No, that's a really good question. We um we do study negative parasocial relationships right? So this idea that, um, and in fact, it can even motivate us to keep watching, because there's somebody who you absolutely despise, and, you know, you see them as somebody to dislike, and that you have a strong emotional connection to them. It's just a negative emotional connection. (laughs) And so um, oftentimes, you want to watch to see what happens to those characters to ensure that, you know, um, justice plays out or that vengeance happens to these, um, these negative characters. We also know that Parasociality can take forms beyond friendships. So there's a, a line of research that examines parasocial romance. Um, most American adolescents actually experiment with parasocial romance. So you know our first crush is oftentimes a musician or a celebrity, and it allows us to kind of experiment and engage with imagined interactions to think about uh, romance and, and and sexual norms. Um, there's also some work on parasocial relationships as paternal. Uh, I, I've interviewed a few folks who talk about their parasocial relationship is less like a friend and more like a parent. Um, and oftentimes they, they make comments about a parent that they never had. So so we know that these kind of social emotional bonds um, vary in in kind of the gratification that people get from them.
0: Um, when you mentioned parasocial romance, I mean, is there any overlap with AI? You know, the first thing I thought of was like her, the movie where the guy has the relationship with a computer program, essentially, is is that part of your your line of study or, or not necessarily?
1: That's a really interesting question. I think that uh, it's a question that doesn't have an answer quite yet. But I think that what's interesting about that is our parasocial relationships um, lack mutuality. as i said they're they're one-sided and that's been a key element of parasocial literature for decades but we now live in a world where um, you know your favorite youtube vlogger even may respond to you or if you're on twitch individual live streaming might respond to you or your artificial intelligence is certainly likely to respond to you those are arguably moments of social interaction in an otherwise parasocial relationship, because there's still not an emotional bond from, you know, the parasocial other. But that's changing, and that's changing a lot with artificial intelligence. I recently heard a, a panel of experts talking about children engaging with Alexa, right, or or Siri, or these other um, forms of AI that um, that they have conversations with. And what happens when they start to to feel a particular bond or, or that that person's an important other, right, in their family or in their home? We don't know a lot about that quite yet, but I think that it certainly is um, is something that we are questioning.
0: Yeah, super, super interesting. Okay, got it. So if you get a response, it's no longer really parasocial.
1: Yeah, I like to say it's a, it's a social interaction within an otherwise parasocial relationship, which social media has made much easier, but we've long had those opportunities, right? If you have a favorite musician and you went to a meet and greet where they signed a, an album, um, you know, you had that one moment of social interaction, but the relationship is still one-sided, mm-hmm. Um,
0: well, Dr. Bond, thank you for sharing your time with me. Uh, just a final question for you is is what is um, you know what's next for you? You mentioned the the projects you're working on. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on your long-term career? Where else would you like to take it?
1: Oh, my. That is a wonderful question. Um, I think really, because i'm I'm so engrossed in this concept and understanding the psychology behind why these relationships develop and what we get from them, that I think being able to harness the potential power of these for educational purposes is is really what I would hope to see long-term. So not just understanding why they form and understanding what kind of gratifications people already get from them, but how do we utilize those psychological components of those connections to um, increase public health, to um, engage people in pro-social behaviors, um, to change, The world for the better as cliche as that sounds, so I think that uh, that ultimately that would be that would be my goal
0: awesome. Well, um, that is a great goal. I'm sure that you will achieve it. And just yeah, th- thank you. Thank you for sharing all this information with me. I think um, my own emotions are going to be sort of under the microscope as I engage with media from here on out. <laughs> so
1: yes, I often you. have people tell me that they've become more critical or they'll say things like, I can no longer enjoy that show because of X, <laughs> Y, and Z. And I take that as a compliment. So.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, what a fascinating job. Um, yeah, thank you again.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you again to Bradley Bond from University of San Diego for joining me on this name drop edition of the San Diego News Fix. And thank you for listening. We'll be back
1: next week.